Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode six of the Alehorn Podcast. My name is Jason. I have three very special guests today, the members of Howling Giant. We have Tom Polzine on guitar and vocals. Hello. Uh, Zach Wheeler on drums and vocals. Hey. And the illustrious Seabass, or as his parents call him, Sebastian Altiz on bass and vocals. <laughs> How's it going? It's going good. So let's do the uh, obligatory, how did you get started questions here. So let's kick it to Tom and Zach. Um, so how did you guys get together and have Howling Giant uh, get started? Well, I guess uh, we were playing in other bands in college at the time. This was actually started as a side project for both of us under the name Skulldozer. So uh, I was in a, a prog band at the time, and it was super fun, but it was one of those sort of things where I think we were almost taking ourselves too seriously. So we started Skulldozer to kind of write songs about our Dungeons & Dragons campaigns and just focus on heavy riffs, kind of taking influence from bands like The Sword or Sleep. And uh, it's just one of those things that I think kind of started to develop the more we started jamming that project. We just found it was super, super fun, and the creative ideas just kept coming. And before you know it, at least for me, it became the side project, or the the main project, rather, pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, same same kind of situation. I was We were all just in, in different bands, like, when we uh, started this with our buddy Roger and our buddy Noel and, uh, and everyone was in a different band and this was kind of the, the way to blow off steam. I know mine that I was in just kind of, you know, shreddy metal as it were, um, kind of getting a little too serious and getting ahead of ourselves. So it was nice to like blow off steam with this and, and write about Anthos, the Minotaur or, a dire bear. Well, and a, a funny thing I'm just realizing is that our first show ever as Skulldozer was on 420 in like 2012. <laughs> was that it? 2011? Tw tw 2011. 2011. Yeah, I think. Uh, at the Elks Lodge in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah. What a legendary show. Oh yeah, the the two two or three old men running the Elks Lodge had no clue what was about to hit. They were not happy with that show. Yeah, they weren't like, yeah, they weren't, they weren't happy that it happened. But uh, well, the other band, what did too, we have? It was us and knuckle wagon. Knuckle yeah, wagon yeah. was like straight up hardcore. I think Eric got a tooth knocked out that night. Yeah, it was sick. That, that dude, uh, our buddy CJ face planted on the <laughs> concrete, I think for moshing. There was, it was a high casualty show at that point. Man, it, that was a more aggressive era, wasn't it? I that feel was, like now we kind of yeah. play to a lot more like the heady jams. You know, people are out there kind of, you know, in their own zone. Back then, you were getting teeth knocked out <laughs> in Boston. Damn. Yeah. We need to go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the thrash album that's coming up that, you know, we haven't talked about at all. We haven't even discussed it amongst ourselves, but we'll commit to it on air tonight. <laughs> um, I will hold you to that from now on until we get that album. Uh, how did you get started playing Seabass? Uh, I, I mean, as far as, as 
music uh, myself, you know, getting into music, I, I uh, got a lot of from my dad uh, him being a bass player uh, as well, you know, playing a lot of metal. That's just kind of how I was raised. Um, and so I was kind of raised in a more uh, like less traditional sense of rather than learning, you know, sheet music. I, I kind of learned everything by ear and, uh, you know, moved down to Nashville um, back in 2011 uh, to go to school and I've just been staying here ever since because the music scene is just so wide here. Everybody thinks it's just country music, but it's really not. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet Tom um, at a, a bar that I was working at. And he mentioned that, um, you know, they were at the, at the time looking for a bass player. And so I had an opportunity and I thought, just what the hell, you know, I'll just try it out. And uh, it seemed to, to really work out in the end. You know, we just kind of, clicked immediately on the first um uh, uh practice jam that we had together and it's been fun ever since so yeah it's it's been a really great time and now you're listed first yes. on the uh on the album credits and i think you know what people don't know is that we are actually referred to as sebastian baltus's howling giants <laughs> yep I was originally going for Sebastian Baltus and the Howling Giants, but you know we had to tone it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It does have a good ring to it. So uh, Marshall Bolton has just joined us, the new keyboard player. Um, how about you? How did you get into playing music? I uh, basically started with uh, this whole entire project uh by knowing zach first and foremost we worked together we're both drummers um we worked at a drum shop for a really long time i knew tom just through zach he would always hang around there at the shop as well yeah just kind of like similar music we and zach worked together for about two and a half years or so i think close close to around that yeah oh, so yeah. We, we became really good friends and um Throughout this humble jumble of trying to find a bass player in Howling Giant, I was actually playing music with Seabass, so I was already friends with him, and um, I just, I guess last year, it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, hey, we need some help on the road, on some merch, and doing this, and I like to skate and do that, and I'd travel with the boys and being a nomad, so I took the opportunity, and then now... Uh, now we're kind of in the process of making me a full-time member and putting it all on the stage, I guess, you know, kind of one day at a time. I don't really, <laughs> it's kind of a funny time to play music now, but, uh, uh, it's, it's been a awesome experience this, this past year, you know, I, I would say almost a year and a half now. Yeah. We took off, uh, that last tour, we picked you up. In mm -hmm. OKC, right? Mm -hmm. So we played a couple shows, then we picked you up. That was uh, that was last year, right around this time, because we were touring around uh, Psycho Smoke. Just another legendary four twenty show. We're, we're just all about these four twenty shows. Yeah, yeah. Huge staples in our career. <laughs> I'm all about it. I'm having some four twenty tacos right now. What's in them? What kind of cilantro is that? Uh, <laughs> It's the devil's lettuce, dude. It's the uh, it's that electric, the electric lettuce, you know. Lettuce. Um, yeah, man. It's all veggie. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, it's like boca meat, or uh, it's like, you know, meat that tastes like beef, but it's all... Is that jackfruit? What is jackfruit? No, jackfruit is delicious, though. Sebastian, what's the rock and metal scene like in Nashville, in your opinion? I'd say it's, uh, from my experience, I mean, it's it's definitely underground, but it's it's growing. Uh, there's a lot of, there's definitely a big classic rock uh, scene. One of the bands being uh, the Rock and Roll Residency, who have since played with members of Kiss and uh, and I think maybe Van Halen or, or, or something. Um, but as far as the original rock and metal scene in Nashville, it's definitely big. Like you see venues that are just, um, you know, that just are almost at full capacity for local bands. And it's really cool. We started down here when it was just Tom and I and and Roger, our old bass player. Uh, there wasn't a lot in the stoner scene, a band named silent monolith ended up kind of ushering us into the Springwater supper club in the early days. I remember playing that a waste faced Wednesdays. Um, so we went early on. I think Tom, you met yeah. one of them when you were working at the old frugal McDougal, right? And they invited us over. Uh, we went to the show. Who is it? Like sun Voyager and Sun Wheel. Sun Voyager is a sick band uh, from New York, though, that if you're not familiar with, you should check them out. That's true. Um, But yeah, Sun Wheel and Silent Monolith. I I was working at Frugal McDougal, uh, which is a beer and liquor warehouse in Nashville. It was the, I mean, I guess technically the second job I had when I moved to Nashville. I worked at Cracker Barrel for two hours. Uh, I did the training and then I walked out. It was horrifying. Uh, so I got the job at the beer store and like a couple of these gentlemen were walking through talking about like the sword. I think they were talking about the sword and me just being the, the crunchy bastard that I am was like, you guys, you guys talking about the sword. Do you like riffs? It was, uh, it was really lame, but it was really cool. They were like, yeah, man, we, we kind of got to talking and they ended up coming back to the store a bunch. And, um yeah then one day they they said they had a show i told them i had a band and they just kind of gave us a chance and yeah that was the humble beginnings way back at the old Springwater. yeah and since then there's just been a big surge of bands especially after somebody like all them witches kind of paved the way i feel like for a lot of the heavier bands but in the psychedelic indie kind of scene there's a different you know it's not the the stoner doom that we always see when we go out like all of our friends there's kind of a more psychedelic scene in east nashville and uh, i feel like all them witches kind of reignited a spark years ago with that so there's a lot of that coming out there's this group called the nashville psych alliance that would put together shows and cold lunch recordings they put together this fest called spew fest which we just played the the most recent one and uh, really tight knit community. We're de- we're usually the heaviest band there, but there's some really cool music coming out of that as well. Cool, man. Um, when you guys tell people you're in a band from Nashville, or when you guys tell people you're in a band and it's metal, do they ever just lose interest right away? Uh, I I don't. I don't think so. I also almost hesitate to say that we're in a metal band 
to to be honest with you, I think we kind of fall in that weird category between rock and metal. Um, we, we can be a little heavier, but it like vocally, it's clean vocals with a focus on harmonies, and there's a lot of kind of major work. Our music to people, yeah, I I don't think I don't think people really lose interest when we say we're in a metal band or when we describe ourselves as a rock band. But I think no matter what kind of music you're playing, you almost need to give someone a qualifier. It's like, okay, of course you're a rock band or of course you're a metal band, but like, why should I listen to you? What's what's your angle beyond that basic genre? And that's where I think what we do is kind of mm-hmm. cool with a focus on kind of the concept stories and the fantasy twist as far as themes go. Um, I, I think people get excited when we tell them that while it is kind of heavier and high energy, when you tell someone that there are like clean vocals with a focus on vocal harmonies, I, I think that can pique a lot of interest and, you know, a, a lot more people are willing to kind of give us a chance because of that. And, and whether or not they dig us or not, you know, it's really hard to say, but. Um. And, and Tom kind of jumping off of that, um, you know, I, I agree as well that I don't exactly like to use the term metal because I, I feel that uh, whenever I say that, people either think that they, they go straight to, uh, oh, are you guys like like Guns N' Roses metal or are you guys like total death metal with crazy like, you know, distorted vocals and stuff that I, you know, most people slam (laughs) yeah and so um you know kind of describing that we're a little bit of an in-between you know sort of progressive uh but just a high energy rock band um is what i i usually end up saying the genre thing is always confusing people dig dig way 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 into it as we all know but the the one thing i will say is let's i'll coin steve janiak from devil to pay he once told us we were fuzzy yet uplifting, and that's the best way oh, I think yeah. we can describe ourselves. <laughs> Good old Steve Janiak. <laughs> Are the Black Hole Space Wizard EPs inspired by the Mass Effect series? Uh, no, actually. I, you know, Believe it or not, for as much as I'm into this stuff, I haven't played Mass Effect. So I, I realize that might be um, kind of a blasphemous thing to say, but Black Hole Space Wizard was kind of just a ridiculous concept album idea we had when we started Skulldozer. This was like way back in the early days. We were like, dude, we need to write an epic called Black Hole Space Wizard. And I think it was just like the most stoner rock buzzwords we could cram in one name. And we were like, that's so sick. So we started just writing music (laughs) for it and... It was just super fun. It just started like kind of coming together and we were like, dude, we need to flesh out this story. And we kind of kept creating these other levels to this story and this character like the pioneer, this character like the earth wizard, who is the other side of the coin um, of like the black hole space wizard. There's this kind of duality and the pioneers trapped somewhere in between those. And um so yeah, I mean, it really just started out as a hilarious mashup of stoner rock buzzwords, and I think it's fucking rad. Did did we ever think in like 2012 ish 
when we were really thinking about this, that we ha- would record them in an episodic EP series. <laughs> it's crazy that we've, we've been able to put some of it together. I don't think we ever like almost intended to do anything legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's how like everything great kind of happens. You know, it's like, it just has to be this stupid fun thing. And I think listeners can latch onto that sometimes. And, and people just enjoy like, Oh dude, they're writing a song about a black hole space wizard. Sure. Yeah. Let's see what that's all about. And yeah, I mean, it's been fun for us. So that's kind of the, the creed really, if, if it's fun and, we dig it. We're I guess all it. we got to do is wrap up the story now. So but, yeah, you know, we'll get to it. We're going to get to it and it's going to be, well, no, I can't, even, I was going to say it's going to be the greatest thing ever, but now we're going against what we yep, said before. Try we're hard. trying too hard. We need to write more Black Hole Space Wizard part three will be abandoned. awful. <laughs> How about that? Set the bar low. Uh, what I can promise <laughs> is that exist. it will exist. It will exist. You heard it here first. I'd like to play Mass Effect, so now that we're on it. I got Elder Scrolls. They're amazing games. I think so. I think I'm going to dive back in. Oh, you're getting back in the Elder Scrolls game. Dude, I need to wrap up Red Dead Redemption 2. I've been just side-questing. I've been collecting pelts. (laughs) I've been killing O'Driscolls. Catching horses, you know? Zach, did your wife mix and engineer this album and also your past releases? Yes. So she, uh, we met in college in the Skulldozer days, of course. And um, she recorded the first couple tracks. Uh, You would get studio time at, at our college. You could sign up, but like the lower you were, on the totem pole, the worse the hours were. So I remember going in, she got like a 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. session. And that's where we recorded two songs. Well, we went in to record Tusk of the Thunder Mammoth originally. And we had some time at the end and recorded the first incarnation of Whale Lord. Um, so, you know, she moved down. Uh, she was a year behind me, moved down a year after me to Nashville. And that, and just, we started to record the first EP and that was all in Tom's bedroom. So there's a hysterical picture somewhere of like all of us crammed in. We have just one Sapphire uh, eight channel um, interface. And we, we did just some really funky setups in order to record like everybody live. You know, we overdubbed the vocals later, but just kept on kept on trucking from there. Eventually, we would start going to studios, bring her with us, and now we actually built a space in my basement that we record everything uh, down there. So it's super convenient for us now to to track, and we have other bands in all the time. But she she records everything, she mixes everything, and then we pass it off to mastering. So she is just as much of a member i'd say at this point it, at least as much yeah yeah as, uh, <laughs> the there's a hierarchy okay. i know I, I i know that she's more of a member <laughs> than i am i get it okay <laughs> we are married yeah you're like the jackfruit <laughs> of this band sebastian you're super interesting but i don't really understand it 
I mean, I'd I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> is the Space Between Worlds album the first album you guys recorded for Blues Funeral? Uh, yeah that that is the first album on Blues Funeral. Um, we were talking with Jad actually like ages ago. I think he re- he reached out to us through some email and was kind of asking what we were intending to do with uh, Black Hole Space Wizard and just what our plans were in the future for albums and. So, so I mean, that dialogue was actually happening for for quite a while. Yeah, Jad Jad actually works for Ripple and Magnetic Eye on top of all of this. And our first contact with Jad was for the uh, best of Pink Floyd when uh, Magnetic Eye was doing the Wall Redux. So he got us on that, and then we just kind of kept chatting over the years and that's when he was putting blues funeral together. So us and Domcraft were the two first two bands that he signed for that label. Is it a lot better having label help or do you miss that DIY spirit? Um, I mean, I guess it depends what you mean by label help because we've gotten so much help from Jad in the way of like kind of advice and connections but it's not really the sort of thing these days where you get like financial help from a label, if that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, we, we still have the like creative freedom to kind of write and record what we're going to do. But a guy like Jad and Blue's Funeral has just been incredibly helpful when we're trying to, you know, figure out what, what should we be doing next? What should we kind of be focusing on and what do you have in mind for like releases and ways to help push this? So, uh, I mean, it's, it's really cool to have that resource. Uh, I think whether or not a label is right for you and your band is a really difficult question to answer right now. But, but I think that please funeral. Yeah. And with the DIY part of it, there's still (laughs) so much of, um, of what we do. That's DIY. And I saw your episode before this with, was with Adam from horse burner. And those are some DIY, like they kill it. They do everything themselves. Uh, and we were doing that for such a long time, but it's not like we've abandoned that, uh, aspect of what we do in any way. While we work with a booker, while we work with a booker, sometimes half the time, I feel like they show up like in with experiences that we had just in past years, they'd be like, well, I have most of the shows booked, but where we got these big gaps. So we'll go in and we'll fill out the gaps. There's still that part that we do. Yeah, I, st- I still feel like we we do almost like everything yeah. or at least help. It's like our, yeah. our hands are on everything. I think the idea that you can be a band these days that can just write music and let someone else take the reins, I think that's kind of a a misguided idea. Like maybe for some people that works. I've just never experienced it. I I think that if you want to get anything done, like you really do need to be willing to do it yourself, you know, or reach out and and just offer to help and figure out what you got to do. But you're very accountable for your own oh, yeah. success to a degree. So when it comes to like, do, do we miss the DIY vibe? Uh, I would say we're still very much in the DIY vibe, but luckily we've, we've met enough people along the way that can kind of offer advice and help us out in all these areas. Um, but, but it is still very hands-on. Yeah, we're playing Pac-Man. You know, 
and the label and the booking agent, you know, they're the little power balls that enable us to, to eat ghosts. Come on. Devour the ghosts. Yes. Are you Pac-Man or Miss Pac-Man? I, well, I see myself more as a Miss Pac-Man. I think if you want to get into that on air, let's just <laughs> we have saddle up, cowboy. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say we started out as, as Mr. Pac-Man. But then over the years, I would say we've we've picked up the pace. There's just something a little bit more aggressive about Miss Pac-Man. Little faster pace, little higher stakes, little more story and development a along that the kills. way. <laughs> that bow. Have you ever thought about making Zach wear a pink bow when he plays live? Have we considered? I didn't hear what you said, but I assume it was. Have we considered making Zach wear a bow <laughs> when he plays live? Can I just insert that as the question? Because the answer is I, yes. There, there was a show years ago. And it was a Halloween show that we were playing with a cover band that was short-lived, Tom and I. And I think I wore, uh, you know, a nice... This was, Wait, which this band was, was this? Uh, Casual Encounters, of course. Yes. Oh, yes, Casual yeah. Encounters. Sh- yeah, yep. dude. Classic rock cover band. band. I think my costume really ended up being a bow tie that had lights on it. I was pretty much nude except for yeah. that. Yeah, kind of a Chippendale vibe. We were talking about last Halloween. We were gonna go as the creepy twins yeah. <laughs> from The Shining. We we kind of last minute ended up going as the uh, Steve Zissou crew, but I, I think there was at least a brief yeah. talk. It's a much cheaper option for yeah. sure. Going as the Steve Zissou well, crew, <laughs> man. But the other way would have been sick. Just like. I guess, again, yeah, we would have had to dress as girls. I'm really learning a lot about myself over this recording process. I mean, I, I, I just wanted that because I just wanted to see Zach dressed up as Danny playing drums on a, uh, on a tricycle. So, Seabass, so. in your mind, it was you and I as the creepy girl twins? See, I disagree. I disagree. I think Tom That's and I it. would have had the dresses and Seabass is Danny because he's the youngest of all of us. So it makes sense. We would have had to... Yeah, exactly. He still has his innocence. <laughs> How did you get Jason Shee from ASG to guest vocal on Ice Castle? Yeah, Jason uh, Jason Shy. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that was suggested by Jad on Blue's Funeral. And when he suggested that we reach out and have Jason guest on it, I mean, I just like, I, I lost it, man. I mean, ASG has been one of my favorite bands since like, you know, I guess 2008. But like when I got into them, I, I just got in super deep. It was whenever their album Win Us Over came out. So uh, Jad basically said he would help put us in contact with Jason. And um, yeah, we just kind of started talking and I feel like, we're super blessed. We were super lucky that he had the time and was willing to uh, record. What a on that skilled, track, so. humble musician, too. Um, like, yeah. Oh man, amazing. Yeah, and like, didn't really take. We we didn't even have to really give him much direction. Almost, we were like, here's the track. Here's kind of what we're thinking for the for the vocal melody, and he just went in and just nailed it. So, email, baby. Yeah, the, the cyber age. <laughs> You just got to reach out to old Jason and uh, someone answered on the other end of that void. 
It was super awesome. How was the Psycho Las Vegas show? Was that the biggest show you guys have played at the time? Well, which which one? We've done a couple now. So we did um, we did the Psycho Smokeout, and we did Vegas on what was that? A Friday or Saturday? The first Zach, one do you we remember? were on the first year Saturday. Yes. Was that in twenty seventeen? Twenty eight. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Yeah, and then 2019 um, was both smoke out and the pool party. So yeah, so I mean that first that first cycle Las Vegas, our buddy Mike Kerr. That's why we were without bass player at the time, and we are just meeting Sebastian. Um, the first one we drove out in the hearse while we still had it. A really treacherous journey. We, um, I mean that at that point that was probably the biggest show that we'd played. And then Smoke Out was really awesome. And then this year, this past year with the pool party was, I would yeah, say, the hottest about, show we've uh, ever played. It was about 110 degrees when we went on. And, and luckily we had fans, uh, you know, blowing some air at us. Yeah. And keep in mind, this was the pool party. We were outdoors, like 3 yeah. o'clock in Las Vegas when it's 110 out. Not a cloud in the sky, just beating down. So I mean, that was that was a big show, but like there was a huge gap in the audience. Like we had the first row of people, a couple rows of people, and then there was just no one. So when we started playing, I was like, "Oh, dude, like no one's here." But then as you're playing, you look out and you're like, "Dude, it is absolutely packed." But everyone's just farther back in the cabanas and basically yeah, seeking no refuge in the, the shade. And the people in the front. The people in the front managed to get some shade from the actual band, uh, like band shell or the band, whatever you would call it, the stage. But there's a clear line of where the shade ended and it was just sun beating down and there was no one standing there because literally it was just, it would melt you. I took my <laughs> flying V out of its case and the tuning pegs were so hot to touch. I had to like leave it in the shade for like a half hour before I played also, they would try and have uh, ice cold waters on the side of the stage, but even though when they would put the the ice in the tubs, not like ten minutes later, it would just be completely melted, and so you'd just be drinking hot water while trying to play, and uh, that was kind of a tough thing to get over. But we pushed through. But I mean, incredible show, incredible show, incredible weekend. We, we got we were lucky enough to just kind of put a little break in our tour and spend the entire weekend at the festival, catch up with buddies from all over, gamble a little bit, you know. Thank you, yeah, Lord of the Rings slot big. machine, you know. Really <laughs> blessed, blessed me up. <laughs> What'd you win, Zach? Like 40 bucks? <laughs> no, $110. Money, we big, baby. High rollers. <laughs> So I don't know if they do it anymore, but the key at the time was like, if you're sitting at a slot machine, they keep bringing you cocktails. Granted, they're weak, but they're free as long as you're gambling. Oh yeah, that was I the think, that was the way. I think they've amended that though. I think now, especially with this festival, they see crunchy duders <laughs> like us, and they're like, "Nah, we get your game. You're not getting these free cocktails." Anymore. I don't know. I don't know about that because I still got a free cocktail. 
just from sitting at a penny slot machine, literally doing nothing. So yeah, you're not as crunchy as well, Tom. Sebastian. You're a young, handsome man. <laughs> Dude, you should see me right now. The quarantine crunch, it's amazing. The the neck beard's growing and I'm like, dude, you should just let it go. Just see what happens. Dude, yes. <laughs> Quentin Quarantino. <laughs> but to go to go back to the question though, I guess like yeah, Vegas, all three shows that we did for Psycho were huge, were amazing. And I mean, to this day, they were probably the three best shows, in my opinion. Um even the even the one out in the hot Vegas sun, you know, there were just so many people at that pool. It, it was, yeah, it was an honor to play it, and they were definitely some of the best. Cool. That festival looks like a blast every year, man. I want to play one one day. What's the latest plans for rescheduling your European dates? Ooh, it's, man, that's difficult. I We went through an entire saga. Um, so we are supposed to be out with Horseburner for most of, uh, the most of the tour, we are going around Ripple right. Fest in Cologne, and we are about to be, do two weeks with them. Then we are going to hop over to the UK and tour with Sergeant Thunderhoof, who we just uh, we're going to put out a split through Ripple with them later in the year. Um, it's it's hard to say. All the bookers that I've been talking to have been insanely hesitant to give me anything. Uh, we've been lucky enough to, you know, get vouchers back at least for our plane tickets, which is just like, we didn't even know if that was going to happen. We thought we'd have to eat the cost and completely, and thank goodness we didn't have to, we didn't have any gear booked or anything else yet. Um, and didn't have deposits down before all this went down. Our, our poor planning ended up helping us in the yeah. <laughs> <to> cancel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at this point, I know they rescheduled Ripple Fest Cologne for late august i believe and the thought was to try to go back around then but i don't know how realistic that is at this point and we're just trying to keep i don't know keep all those the bookers we were talking to abreast of what's happening over here what we're able to do you know we're not all working quite as much so we're not able to scrounge away for our european trip right now so it's kind of a wait and see i I was hoping to do it before the, the year was out, but it might end up just going completely to spring of next year. It's really yeah. hard to say. Ba- basically, as soon as it's safe to do so, like we intend to get back out there, it's just a really difficult position because I, I think for us as a band, like we have a lot of drive to get back out. We really desperately want to, but it's kind of being weighed on the scale of what is safe. When is it okay to do it? And, I, I don't I don't want to be making an act that is irresponsible to go out when you know it's too difficult to do so when it's too risky for a fan to want to come and see us. I just don't want to even put uh, ourselves or a fan base in that position where they're having to make that call. So it's just one of those things where we got to pay as close attention as we can, and as soon as it's safe enough to do so, that's when we're going to get back out there. Will Marshall be joining you when you go go over there eventually? Oh yeah, oh yeah, baby. So Marshall was gonna come the first time through, and if anything, now we have time to get him fully tuned up yeah. on that uh, on that piano. We're gonna be rocking and rolling. The piano. Marshall's first show with us officially, so he's been doing merch and then just kind of learning all the tunes. 
Uh, we are going to go to Europe. He was going to sell merch, come with us there. We we're going to take that time to continue to teach him parts when we're in the van or anything else like that. But now uh, we have all the time in the world to teach him and he will, you know, I, I, I'd hope the next time we're allowed to stream that we could get Marshall in. So we're just waiting on the couple of, couple of laws to be lifted when, again, sure. when it's safe to do so. Zach, will you make Marshall a drum tech since all he has to do is set up a keyboard? <laughs> oh, he, Mar the most beautiful thing is when we started bringing Marshall with us and occasionally I would go and have to go talk to, I don't know, a promoter or a club owner and I'd come back and my kit is like set up. And it's not just set up like, you know, no offense to Tom and Seabass, but if they were to set it up as a guitarist or bassist, they might not know the little things like I like to adjust, but like Marshall knows Marshall's instinct really kicks in when he sets up my kit and he goes, what would Zach like? So I'd like to keep that sort of vibe 100%. going. But, <laughs> that's, you know. that's, that's also because we just, we hung out so much and we talked drums so much for, you know, a really long period of time in both of our lives. And then we're on the road with each other. So it's just like, oh, I already know what Zach likes. Like, get out of my way. I already know what this goes here, you know. I recall many shows now since we've been touring with Marshall Selling Merch where I would, like, do something or kind of mess up just a little bit and look back to Marshall and he's just kind of shaking his head or giving me some look. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's out of pure <laughs> friendship and honesty right there. <laughs> uh, I just want to add that um, having a bass player set up your drums sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't want that kind of pressure. And also, I honestly, I really have like an easy setup compared to everybody else in the band because I literally just have my bass guitar, a couple cables, amp cab, and one pedal. That is it. You know, I don't even have a tuner, a tuning pedal. I just have a little clip-on tuner. And so I'm usually able to get set up in like two seconds. And then I'm just kind of waiting around for everyone else. But if I were to help out with drums at all, I'd, I'd probably break something. I, I know, honestly. <laughs> Sebastian, you should be my guitar tech. <laughs> if you've got all this time. All right, guys, that does it for my general questions. So we're going to go to the lightning round portion of the podcast. Uh, just pick whichever answer suits you. Uh, sword or axe? Sword. I'm a sword, man. Bow or crossbow? I'm a crossbow guy. Gotta be the crossbow. Yeah. Yeah, I go crossbow as well. I mean, a bow is sick, but a crossbow, I don't know, man. Point and shoot. It's nice and easy. All right. Wizard or warlock? Well, that's gotta be warlock. Warlock, 100%. I'm gonna go with warlock as well. Oh, wizard for sure. Oh. <laughs> Black Hole Space Warlock. It's the next series we're gonna work on. Throwing star or throwing knife? Throwing, throwing star, star guy. for sure. Yeah, throwing me? star is dope, but I just feel like a throwing knife's more oh, effective. Yeah. I stand by a throwing knife. I feel like 
Well, totally. It's not a, it's not a matter of being effective. I want a throwing star to like remember in South Park where they threw one at Butters, you know? It just it needs to hurt but not kill. That's kind of the idea. Well, what could you have more accuracy with though? A throwing star or a throwing knife? Like I I'd, I'd feel like a throwing knife would be more accurate. Oh, false star is definitely mm-hmm. more accurate. You yep. got all better aerodynamics. We're split. I'm standing by throwing knife on this one. Yeah, to each their own. I'm with you, Tom. Fictional land that you would hail from. Fictional land I should hail from. Um, oh, I got to go Middle Earth. Yep. That's an excellent question, man. I haven't considered it. Hokai. It's the land that my character in our latest Dungeons & Dragons be, I, campaign I, is from. From the, the kingdom of it, Rohan. It borders the land of the Fae. Yeah. So your classic like sprites and fairies and evil warlocks, they hail from this almost mystical land that exists somewhere between the fabric of reality and this kind of spiritual fae land. Uh, and the name of that town near there is Hokai. So I Did think that's where time? I would hail from. No. So you're, you're a Middle Earth guy as well. I, I'm going to have to say that, you know, I, I had thoughts about about uh, probably somewhere in the Outer Rim in the Star Wars world. But if we're talking, you know, it depends on the era for me because there's some, some real rough times to be alive. Dude, you know, yes. And all of That's this. an amazing place. I think the safest spot would be Middle Earth. You know, I'm thinking Hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. Take, it, take her to the Shire. I want to keep it easy. I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing these days, and I'm just trying to chill out. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons or Magic the Gathering? You can't make us choose between those two. Why can't it be both? Magic the Gathering for sure. Man, I feel like I have to say Dungeons and oh, Dragons. Oh, it's Dungeons and Dragons that was just for like me. some of my yeah. fondest memories like getting into the whole nerddom. It was it was Dungeons and Dragons, but Magic, Magic the, Gathering the Gathering is an amazing game. Uh Skeletor or Cobra Commander? I feel like Skeletor, yeah. Skeletor. 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 Yeah. Yeah, Skeletor. Uh, black hole or wormhole? Whoa. I feel like we gotta go black hole. Like, I gotta stick by my brand. Black hole. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Alien or predator? Dude, team predator. Team predator, baby. Alien. Predator. Oh. Dude, alien. Alien, for sure. Uh, alien invasion or kaiju invasion? I would prefer to be involved in a kaiju invasion. 100%. Well, let's Ooh. consider that alien invasion, I mean, that's Same. probably already happening right now. Yeah, Their presence kaiju. is going to, I mean, it's not going to be made aware to us. We would know if the kaiju were out there. Rising from the oceans. Yeah. Yeah, prefer visible threat. <laughs> All right. Uh, Zach, best Rush album. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> this is... <laughs> well, uh, I'm just... I guess I got to go with probably what I listen to the most would be moving pictures. Although 
I've been really getting into a lot of their recent uh, albums, like Clockwork Angels. I think that was like 2012 or something like that. There's something that disconnects for me with a lot of bands where I feel like anything mid 90s or later from any of these bands from like, you know, 70s. 80s for some reason i just never listened to them but now i'm going back and like some of the newer maiden stuff some of the newer uh rush obviously that i think clockwork angels was the the last one that they made i think uh but still incredible albums i don't know why i hadn't listened to them before i wasn't dismissing them but man clockwork angels is is a great one but moving pictures takes takes it for me okay uh, Tom, what's your best Sabbath riff? My favorite Sabbath riff? Oh, dude. I feel like you can't even choose one because they have created like all of the greatest riffs of all time. Um, yeah, I think when it comes to Sabbath, I just have to say no comment. <laughs> I think I can't even comment on that because like as soon as I put one on record, I'm going to hate myself for saying it. But Tony Iommi, I think is just, you know, I guess he's starting to get a lot of love or I guess he's always had a lot of love in the stoner scene, but like even across that, it's like, I I just feel like sometimes it it took the world too long to see the genius in his songwriting um, and in his riff writing. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I don't think I can really comment on that. I'm going to back out. I'm going to back out. I'm going to wash my hands of this question. (laughs) Uh, Seabass, Balls to the Wall or Blood of the Nations? Uh, I mean, come on. Balls to the Wall. That's, first of all, I mean, that kind of question is just. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Balls to the Wall is is classic as much as I love Blood uh, Blood of the Nations. Funny enough, Blood of the Nations had uh, the the album cover with the peace sign uh, that had blood all over it was my dad's hand uh, that they they shot that in Nashville. But um, no, I've I've listened to Balls to the Wall ever since you know I was a little kid, and uh, my dad still has the the bass that he used uh, you know on that recording in his basement that never goes anywhere. It's it's his baby. And so whenever I touch that thing, he always gets really pissed, uh, which makes it really fun. <laughs> uh, did you ever meet uh, Udo? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, How tall is yeah. that dude? Uh, really not tall at all. Uh, I mean, granted, I'm a tall guy, but he's probably like, I don't know, five foot something, maybe a little bit more. Um, he's really short guy, absolutely incredible voice. Um, and he's, and he's still, you know, just an awesome dude. Uh, Marshall, let's go with best John, our favorite John Lord performance. Hmm. Um, honestly, I'm not super familiar, uh, but yeah, that's what I would have to say. If I had to. Okay. Right. <laughs> What'd you say one more time? Sorry, broke up. Uh, uh, Highway Star, it is then. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Highway Star is, is a classic. Um, 
there was an uh, oh, shoot. I'm trying to think of another song. I'm sorry, I'm stealing your question, no, Marshall. But I, um, I mean, I I probably have to go space trucking as well. You know, I think he's just absolutely great on that song. Yeah, I think for Marshall, his background in history is probably stronger in drums than anything else. Mm. Yeah. He's, you know, we're, we're, he's still learning the, the ways and the history of the keyboard. He's learning to respect it, and he's learning to respect I us. <laughs> we told him, yeah, he has to learn the entire history of piano and how it evolved into I'm not the organ before we yet, even let him touch you know? his instrument. Once I've reached that climax, I think I'll have a full understanding <laughs> of what my favorite John Lord performance is. So <laughs> it's coming. Can't wait till you climax, dude. <laughs> All right, Marshall. We'll just go with your favorite Bon Jovi song. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> you know, probably just yeah, living on a prayer, of course. But if I had to pick uh, the other one, uh, I would say you'd love a bad name. That's uh, probably my two favorites, so. Mr. Bovine Jody. <laughs> uh, free beer tickets or free meal? Free meal. Free I meal. Would... I can get my hands on a beer. I, I know that there's going to be a way oh. if I'm trying to drink beer, I can find me a beer. I, I need to Dude, be Dude, I'm fed. a hungry boy. I got to get that food. Give yeah. me that free I have to go beer tickets on that one. Man, whenever we stay at a hotel, if they have, like, the continental breakfast, we're, like, shoveling those awful processed eggs, like the scrambled eggs. We're finding ways to transport it. We're, like, hoarding out all that food. I'm st stuffing them in my pockets, putting them in my socks. Any crevice I can meal. find, those eggs are going. Uh, most misunderstood <laughs> Looney Tunes character. Elmer Fudd. The question was misunderstood Looney Tunes character? Yeah. Who was like the Spartan alien? What was his deal? Marvin. Marvin. Marvin, Marvin the, Martian. the Martian. I I just don't understand him. Therefore, I think he is misunderstood. And let's talk about Elmer Fudd for a second. <laughs> he was just doing his part in population control. Yeah. You know? I think anyone can understand that. He... <laughs> uh nes or snes man i feel like for me maybe snes it feels dirty to say it though like i know nes is amazing but i i think i have some of the fondest memories playing like what was it turtles in time when that came out for snes um was it Link's awakening or uh link link between worlds which one was it what was the zelda game I can't even remember now, but I, I feel like SNES. Oh, but dude, that classic Zelda game was so amazing. Man, it's it's a hard call. I think I have to stand by Super Nintendo for me. How about you, Seabass? What you got? Uh, you know, I never really played um, those consoles, uh, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably go NES. Is it because it had two buttons? Is it because it had what? 
Is it because it has two buttons? The crowd pleaser. The controller. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's easy. I mean, remember, I'm a bass player. Like, if anything is shortened down, it, it's, it's, it's fine. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I got you. All right, guys. Last question here. Uh, Spanish flu or Black Death? What you got? Oh, man. Let's go Black Death. Let's go out heavy. Yeah, I, I got to agree with that. I mean, if I'm going out, like, being, you know, being able to say that you died from Black Death. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. While I'm listening to Black Tusk, hell yeah, like, let's do it. You know? Spanish flu sounds sexier. I feel like I could have a Kali Mocho, have a nice red wine. <laughs> oh, dude. I think Spanish flu does sound sexier, Tom. Like, I, it sounds a little more just... <laughs> I know it'd wreak havoc on our bodies, but it sounds a little more appealing, sensual, possibly. You talked about having a nice. That's what I'm saying. I'd have my feet dunked in a giant bowl of paella. I'd be like smoking unfiltered <laughs> cigarettes and drinking red wine until I die. I imagine that's how people go with the Spanish flu. That's just that's just for me. It's not for everyone. All right. Well, that's been Howling Giant with uh, slight technical difficulties tonight. Make sure you check out their uh, live stream that they did on YouTube and also stream their stuff on Spotify and other streaming platforms. Also, uh, buy some merch from them and look out for tour dates, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, but we'll see. Um, also, try to catch their Dungeons & Dragons live stream on Twitch whenever they uh, get that going. It should be a blast. Uh, my name is Jason, and thanks for listening. We'll see you on Episode 7.